0: O Magana de Madanasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Mithamdena Tasmai Shi Guruvain Krishna Keshava, Krishna Keshava, Krishna Keshava, Pahi Ma Welcome back to Govardhan Hill, the first day of Kartik. We're taking up the reading of the Krishna book by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. We're up to chapter 9, Mother Yashoda binds Lord Krishna. Once upon a time, seeing that her maidservant was engaged in different household duties, mother yashoda personally took charge of churning butter and when she churned butter she sang the childhood past signs of krishna and enjoyed thinking of her son all the energies moving there it's ok they're getting the room together and stuff Yeah, Okay. the end of her sari was tightly wrapped while she churned and on account of her intense love for her son milk automatically dripped from her breast, which moved as she labored very hard churning with two hands. The bangles and bracelets on her hands tinkled as they touched each other, and her earrings and breasts shook. There were drops of perspiration on her face, and the flower garland, which was on her head, scattered here and there. Before this picturesque sight, Lord Krishna appeared as a child. He felt hungry, and to increase his mother's love, he wanted her to stop churning. He indicated that her first business was to let him suck her breast and then she could churn butter later. Mother Yashoda took her son on her lap and pushed the nipple of her breast into his mouth and while Krishna was sucking the milk and smiling she was enjoying the beauty of her child's face. Suddenly the milk which was on the stove began to boil over. Just to stop the milk from spilling Mother Yashoda at once put Krishna aside and went to the stove. Left in that state by his mother, Krishna became very angry and his lips and eyes became red in rage. He bit his lips with his teeth and taking up a piece of stone, he immediately broke the butter pot. He took butter out of it and with false tears in his eyes, he began to eat the butter in a secluded place. In the meantime, Mother Yashoda returned to the churning place after setting the overflowing milk pan in order, she saw the broken pot in which the churning yogurt had been kept. Since she could not find her boy, she concluded that the broken pot was his work. She smiled as she thought, The child is very clever. After breaking the pot, he has left this place, fearing punishment. After she sought all over, she found her son sitting on a big wooden grinding mortar. Which was kept upside down. He was taking butter from a pot which was hanging from the ceiling on a swing and he was feeding it to the monkeys. She saw Krishna looking this way and that way in fear of her because he was conscious of his naughty behavior. After seeing her son so engaged, she, was, she very silently approached him from behind. Krishna, however, saw her coming toward him with a stick in her hand and he immediately got down from the grinding mortar and they began to flee in fear. Mother Yashoda chased him to all corners, trying to capture the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was never approached even by the expert meditations of great yogis. In other words, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, who was never caught by the yogis and speculators, was playing just like a little child for such a great devotee as Mother Yashoda. Mother Yashoda, however, could not easily catch the fast-running child because of her thin waist and heavy body. Still she tried to follow him as fast as possible. Her hair loosened and the flowers in her hair fell to the ground. Although she was tired, she somehow reached her naughty child and captured him. When he was caught, Krishna was almost on the point of crying. He smeared his hands over his eyes. Which were anointed with black eye cosmetics. The child saw his mother's face while she stood over him, and his mm-hmm. eyes became restless from fear. Mother Yashoda could understand that Krishna was unnecessarily afraid, and for his benefit, she wanted to allay his fears. Being the topmost well wisher of her child, Mother Yashoda thought If the child is too fearful of me, I don't know what will happen to him. Mother Yashoda then threw away her stick. In order to punish him, she thought to bind his hands with some ropes. She did not know the power of her child or that it was actually impossible for her to bind the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Mother Yashoda was thinking that Krishna was her tiny child. She did not know that the child had no limitation. There is no inside or outside of him, nor beginning or end. He is unlimited and all-pervading. Indeed, he is himself the whole cosmic manifestation. Still, Mother Yashoda was thinking of Krishna as her child. Although he is beyond the reach of all senses, she endeavored to bind him to a wooden grinding mortar. But when she tried to bind him, she found that the rope she was using was too short, by two inches. So she gathered more ropes from the house and added to it. But still she found the same shortage in this way she collected all the ropes available at home but when the final knot was added she saw that the rope was still two inches too short mother yashoda was smiling but she was astonished how was this happening in attempting to bind her son she became tired she was perspiring and the garland on her head fell down then lord krishna appreciated the hard labor of his mother and being compassionate upon her he agreed to be bound up by the ropes Krishna playing as a human child in the house of Mother Yashoda, who was performing his own selected pastimes otherwise no one can control the Supreme Personality of Godhead as the pure devotee surrenders himself unto the lotus feet of the Lord who may either protect or vanquish the devotee the devotee forgets his subordinate position similarly the lord also feels transcendental pleasure by submitting himself to the protection of the devotee this was exemplified by krishna's surrender unto his mother yashoda krishna is the supreme bestower of all kinds of liberation to his devotees but the benediction which was bestowed upon mother yashoda was never experienced even by lord brahma or lord shiva or the goddess of fortune The Supreme Personality of Godhead who is known as the son of Yashoda and Nanda Maharaj is never so completely known to the yogis and speculators but he is easily available to his devotees nor is he appreciated as the supreme reservoir of all pleasure by the yogis and speculators.
1: Mm. After binding her son Yashoda engaged herself in household affairs. At that time bound up to the wooden mortar, Krishna could see a pair of trees before him, which were known as Arjuna trees. The great reservoir of pleasure, Lord Shri Krishna, thus thought to himself, Madhya Shoda first of all left without feeding me sufficient milk, and I therefore and therefore I broke the pot of yogurt and, and distributed the stock butter in charity to the monkeys. Now she has bound me up to a wooden mortar, so I shall do something more mischievous than before. And thus he thought of pulling down the two very tall Arjuna trees. There is a history behind the pair of Arjuna trees. In their previous lives they had been the sons of Kuvera, and their names were Nalapuvara and Manigriva. Fortunately, they later came within the vision of the Lord. In their previous lives, the great sage Narada had cursed them in order to bestow the highest benediction of seeing Lord Krishna. This benediction curse was bestowed upon them because of their forgetfulness due to intoxication. This story will be narrated in the next chapter. Oh, God. Don't get old. It's a mistake. Because I don't know if you can do a bit of that. I hope it still works.
0: Hari, 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 hari. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the ninth chapter of Krishna Mother Yashoda Finds nice. Lord
1: Krishna. Chapter 10 The Deliverance of Nalakuvara and Manigriva The story of cursing Nalakuvara and Manigriva and their deliverance by Krishna under the all-blissful desire of the great sage Narada is here described. The two great demigods Nalakuvara and Manigriva were sons of the treasurer of the demigods Kuvera. Was a great devotee of Lord Shiva. By the grace of Lord Shiva, Kuvera's material opulences had no limit. As a rich man's son, often become addicted. As a rich man's sons, often become addicted to wine and women, so these two sons of Kuvera were also addicted to wine and sex. Once these two demigods, in indi- desiring to enjoy entered the garden of Lord Shiva in the province of Kailas on the bank of the Mandakini Ganges. There they drank much and engaged in hearing the sweet singing of the beautiful women who accompanied them in that garden of fragrant flowers. In an intoxicated condition, the two demigods entered the water of the Ganges, which was filled with lotus flowers, and there they began to enjoy The company of the young girls, exactly as a male elephant enjoys female elephants within the water. While they were thus enjoying themselves in the water, all of a sudden, Narada, the great sage, happened to pass that way. He could understand that the demigods Nalakuvara and Manigriva were too much intoxicated and could not even see that he was passing. The young girls, however, were not so much intoxicated as the demigods and they at once became ashamed of being naked before the great sage Narada and covered themselves with all haste. The two demigod sons of Kubera were so much intoxicated that they could not appreciate the presence of the sage Narada and therefore did not cover their bodies. On seeing the two demigods so degraded by intoxication, nor did desi- desire their welfare, and therefore he exhibited his causeless mercy upon them by cursing them. Because the great sage was compassionate upon them, he wanted to finish their false enjoyment of intoxication and association with y- young girls and wanted them to see Krishna, Lord Krishna face to face. He conceived of cursing them as follows. He said that the attraction for material enjoyment is due to an increase in emotive passion. A person in the material world, when favored by the material opulence of riches, generally becomes addicted to three things, intoxication, sex, and gambling. Materially opulent men being puffed up with the accumulation of wealth also become so merciless that they indulge in killing animals by opening slaughterhouses. And they think that they themselves will never die. Such foolish persons, forgetting the laws of nature, become overly infatuated with the body. They forget that the material body, even though very much advanced in civilization, up to the position of demigods, will finally turn into ashes or a stool. And while one is living, Whatever the external condition of the body may be, within there is only stool, urine and various kinds of worms. Thus being engaged in jealousy and violence to other bodies, materialists cannot understand the ultimate goal of life. And without, no, without, knowledge, and without knowing this goal of life, they generally glide down to a hellish condition in their next life. Such foolish persons commit all kinds of sinful activities on account of the temporary body and they are even unable to consider whether the body actually belongs to them. Generally, it is said that the body belongs to the persons who feed it. One might therefore consider whether the body, begins to one, whether the body belongs to one personally or to the master to whom one renders service. The master of slaves claims full right to the bodies of the slaves because the master feeds the slaves. It may also be questioned whether the body belongs to the father who is the seed-giving master of the body or to the mother who develops the child's body in her womb. Foolish persons are engaged in committing all sorts of sins due to the misconception of identifying the material body with the self but one should be intelligent enough to understand to whom the body belongs. A foolish person indulges in killing animals to maintain the body, but he does not consider whether the body belongs to him or to his father or mother or maternal grandfather. Sometimes a father gives his daughter in charity to a person with the view of getting back the daughter's child as a son. I'll repeat this last part. This is really far. Haribo. Haribo. Sometimes a father gives his daughter in charity to a person with, with a view of getting back the daughter's child as a son. The body may also belong to a stronger man who forces it to work for him. Sometimes a slave's body is sold to a master. And from that day on, the body belongs to the Master. And at the end of life, the body belongs to the fire, because the body is given to the fire and burned to ashes. Or the body is thrown into the street to be eaten by the dogs and vultures. Before committing all kinds of sins to maintain the body, one should understand to whom the body belongs. Ultimately, it is concluded that the body is a product of material nature and at the end it merges into material nature. Therefore the conclusion should be that the body belongs to material nature. One should not wrongly think that the body belongs to him. To maintain a false possession why should one indulge in killing? Why should one kill innocent animals? To maintain the body. When a man is infatuated with the false prestige of opulence, he does not care for any moral instruction, but indulges in wine, women and animal killing. In such circumstances, a poverty-stricken man is often better situated because a poor man thinks of himself in relation to other bodies. A poor man often does not wish to inflict injuries upon other bodies because he can understand more readily, that when he himself is injured, he feels pain. Therefore, the great sage Narda considered. Therefore, the great sage Narda considered that because the demigods Nalakuvara and Manigriva were so infatuated by false prestige, they should be put into a condition of life of op, devoid of opulence. Please welcome Divyanga Prabhu, my Hi. old friend,
0: disciple of Srila Prabhupada, making his debut back here in Vrindavan Dham. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Oh. <laughs> <forget> my offenses. <laughs> a person who has a pin prick in his body does not wish others to be pricked by pins. A considerate man in the life of poverty does not wish others to be also put into that condition. Generally, it is seen that one who has risen from a poverty-stricken life and becomes wealthy creates some charitable institution at the end of his life so that other poverty-stricken men might be benefited. In short, a compassionate, poor man may consider others' pains and pleasures with empathy. A poor man is seldom puffed up with false pride, and he may be freed from all kinds of infatuation he may remain satisfied by whatever he gets for his maintenance by the grace of the Lord. To remain in the poverty-stricken condition is a kind of austerity. According to Vedic culture, therefore, the Brahmanas, as a matter of routine, keep themselves in a poverty-stricken condition to save themselves from the false prestige of material opulence. False prestige, due to advancement of material prosperity, is a great impediment for spiritual emancipation. A poverty stricken man cannot become unnaturally fat by eating more and more. And on account of not being able to eat more than he requires, his senses are not very turbulent. When the senses are not very turbulent, he cannot become violent. Another advantage of poverty is that a saintly person can easily enter a poor man's house. And thus, the poor man can take advantage of the saintly person's association. We have the in Denver a few years ago, we went to the really poor neighborhood and we were going around supper time and knock on the door and people just go, come on in. And they'd be sitting there having dinner. I mean, one family, they were at the dinner table. And I mean, they barely even looked up. They just said, come on in. And I came in and I started, and they go, what do you got there, honey? And they're asking, you know, like, and just like really friendly. And then later on we went to a rich neighborhood and as soon as we stepped on the first porch they kicked us out they called the cops they go get out of here it was and we were thinking of this section oh yes. yeah very practical how true it is a very opulent man does not allow anyone to enter his house therefore the saintly person cannot enter according to the vedic system a saintly person takes the position of a mendicant so that on the plea of begging something from the householder he can enter any house the householder who has usually forgotten everything about spiritual advancement because he is busy maintaining family affairs can be benefited by the association of a saintly person there is a great chance for the poor man to become liberated through association with a saint of what use are persons who are puffed up please welcome Havi Prabhu Prabhu <laughs> The householder who has usually forgotten everything about spiritual advancement because he is busy maintaining family affairs can be benefited by the association of a saintly person. There is a great chance for the poor man to become liberated through association with a saint. Of what use are persons who are puffed up with material opulence and prestige if they're bereft of the association of saintly persons and devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead? The great sage, Narada, therefore thought that it was his duty to put those demigods into a condition where they could not be falsely proud of their material opulence and prestige. Narada was compassionate and wanted to save them from their fallen life. They were in the mode of darkness and being therefore unable to control their senses, they were addicted to sex life. It was the duty of a saintly person like Narada to save them from their abominable condition. In animal life, the animal has no sense to understand that he is naked. But Kuvera was the treasure of the demigods, a very responsible man. And Nalukulavera and Manigriva were two of his sons. And yet they became so animalistic and irresponsible that they could not understand, due to intoxication, that they were naked. To cover the lower part of the body is a principle of human civilization. And when men or women forget this principle, they become no better than animals. Narda, Narda, therefore thought that the best punishment for them was to make them immovable living entities or trees. Trees are, by nature's laws, immovable. Although trees are covered by the mode of ignorance, they cannot do harm. The great sage Narda thought it fitting that although the brothers would be punished to become trees, by his mercy they would continue to keep their memory and be able to know why they were being punished after changing the body a living entity generally forgets his previous life but in special cases by the grace of the lord as with nalukuvera and manigriva one can remember sage narada therefore contemplated that the two demigods should remain for 100 years in the time of the demigods in the form of trees and after that they would be fortunate enough to see the supreme personality of god in face to face by His causeless mercy. And thus they would be again promoted to the life of the demigods and become great devotees of the Lord.
1: After this, <clears throat> after this, the great sage Narada returned to his abode known as Narayanashrama and the two demigods turned into trees known as twin Arjuna trees. The two demigods were favored by the causeless mercy of Narda, and given a chance to grow in Nanda's courtyard and see Lord Krishna face to face. Although child Krishna was bound up to the wooden mortar, he began to proceed toward the twin trees in order to fulfill the prophecy of his great devotee, Narda. Lord Krishna knew that Narda was his great devotee and that the trees standing before him as twin Arjuna trees were actually the sons of Kuvera. I must now fulfill the words of my great devotee, Narada, he thought. <clears throat> then he proceeded through the passage between the two trees. although he was able to, Although he was able to pass through the passage, the large wooden mortar stuck horizontally between the trees taking advantage of this with great strength Lord Krishna began to pull the rope which was tied to the mortar as soon as he pulled the two trees with all their branches and limbs fell down immediately with great sound out of the broken fallen trees came two great personalities shining like blazing fire all sides became illuminated and beautiful by their presence. The two purified personalities immediately became before Lord Krishna, before child Krishna, and bowed down to offer their respects and prayers in the following words. Dear Lord Krishna, You are the original personality of Godhead, master of all mystic powers. Learned brahmanas know very well that this cosmic manifestation is an expansion of your potencies which are sometimes manifest and sometimes unmanifest. You are the original provider of the life, body and senses of all living entities. You are the eternal God, Lord Vishnu, who is all-pervading, the imperishable controller of everything. And you are eternal time. You are the original source of the Cosmic Manifestation, which is acting under the spell of the Three Modes of Material Nature, Goodness, Passion and Ignorance. You are living as the Supersoul in all the multi-forms of living entities, and you know very well what is going on within their bodies and minds. Therefore you are the Supreme Director of all activities of all living entities. But although you are in the midst of everything which is under the spell of the material modes of nature, you were not affected by such contaminated qualities. No one under the jurisdiction of the material modes can understand your transcendental qualities, which existed before the creation. Therefore, you are called the Supreme Transcendence. Let us offer our respectful obeisances, under the lotus feet of you, Lord Vasudeva, the Supreme Brahman, who are always glorified by your personal, internal potencies. In this material world you make yourself known only by your different incarnations. Although you assume different types of bodies, these bodies are not part of the material creation. They are always full of the transcendental potencies of unlimited opulence, strength, beauty, fame, wisdom, and renunciation. In the material existence <clears throat> In the material existence, there is a difference between the body and the owner of the body. But because you appear in your original spiritual body, there is no such difference for you. When you appear, your uncommon activities indicate that you are the supreme personality of Godhead. Such uncommon activities are not possible for anyone in material existence. You, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, cause the birth and, the, and death as well as the liberation of the living entities, and you are full with all your plenary expansions. You can bestow on everything, all, you can bestow on everyone all kinds of benedictions, O oh Lord, O source of all auspiciousness and goodness, we offer our respectful obeisances unto you. You are the all-pervading, supreme personality of Godhead, the supreme source of peace and the supreme personality in the dynasty of King Yadu. Our Lord, O Lord, our father, known as Kuvera, the demigod, is your servant. Similarly, the great sage Narada, is also your servitor and only by their grace have we been able to see you personally. We therefore pray that we may always be engaged in your transcendental loving service by speaking only about your glories and hearing about your transcendental activities. May our hands and other limbs be engaged in your service and our minds always be concentrated at your lotus feet and our heads always bowed down before the all-pervading universal form of your lordship. When the demigods Nalakuvara and Manigriva finished their prayers, the child Lord Krishna, the master and proprietor of Gokula, bound to the wooden grinding mortar by the ropes of Yashoda, smiled and said, it was already known to me that my great devotee Nārada Muni had shown His causeless mercy by saving you from the abominable condition of pride due to, due to possessing extraordinary beauty and opulence in the family of demigods. He has saved you from gliding down into the lowest condition of hellish life. All these facts are already known to me. You were very fortunate because not only were you cursed by Him, but you had the opportunity to see him. If someone is able, by chance, to see you face to face, a great saintly person like Narada, who is always serene and merciful to everyone, then immediately that conditioned soul becomes liberated. This is exactly like being situated in the full light of the sun. There cannot be any visionary impediment Therefore, O oh Nalukubara and Mani your lives have now become successful because you have developed ecstatic love for me. This is your last birth within material existence. Now you can go back to your father's residence in the heavenly planets. And by, remi- and by remaining in the attitude of devotional service, you will be liberated in this very life. After this, the demigods circumambulated the Lord many times and bowed down before Him again and again, and thus they left. The Lord remained bound up with ropes to the grinding mortar. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 10th ch- chapter of Krishna, the deliverance of Nalukuvara and Manikriva. Chapter, Whew. I got one. I thought that just before Krishna pulled down the trees, he thought, My devotee Narayana told me that I have to deliver these two, so I have to do it. So I'm thinking, Here I am sitting in Bodhidharma, so, a big condition qualified, and then because you're thought, said. If you do this, chant the six feet and there, follow the way you're coming go, go back home in the same time.
0: And your winner will be from the
1: There you have it. The other hand is reached. The Christian will certainly do it.
0: Whoa! I feel better already. Alright, sure. Sure. <laughs> we noticed also in the last chapter about Jonah and Dara, who uh, had received a benediction from Brahma that they would become the parents of the Lord and the Lord thus considered that Brahma, like great Devotee, had given the promise and that's why He benedicted them and showed up in their family. There other sons.
1: I, to... <coughs> well, I have one question. Like uh, we say that Krishna has six opulences, knowledge is one of them. But uh, when Krishna says that uh, he doesn't know that how Radha Rani can love him so much, and how devotee feels uh, when they do his bhakti. That's why he took the incarnation of Chitanya Mahaprabhu. Mm-hmm. So, so in this he is saying that uh, he, I do not know this. But uh, and he also said that uh, the Vedas come from. It. So this is a chase.
0: We've got my shades <laughs> go ahead. This is yours. Well Vishnu very talking gives a lot of commentary about what he calls the Lord's divine ignorance through which he willingly becomes subordinate to his Lima Shakti. Example that it gives is when the cowboy boys went into the mouth of Agassura. He was marveling at how the, his energies were working, and it seems as if in that section he's not quite sure why they're going into the mouth and so forth of, of Agassura. And we should not trouble to talk with comments about that. About that's the Lord's pleasure to put himself in that kind of situation to marvel at his own energies. But in another sense, the, uh, you know, there's always, a, as a Kaviraj Goswami writes in the Chaitanya Charamita, there's always a competition between Radha and, and Krishna because each one is always <laughs> becoming more qualified and more beautiful by observing the other one they're constantly increasing. There's a comp of competition. It's not as if the source of the energy and the energy the energy and the energetic are ultimately one. Of course they're different at the same time. So there's no ultimate dichotomy between the two. Krishna
1: is the Supreme, is the Supreme everything? Is the Supreme humble? And therefore, when he sees what Rani and how she's treating him, he's thinking, how's it possible? So what is it about me that, you know, that allows you to act like that? But how, I want to you feel know, Krishna's uh, will Krishna's no. uh, desire for the pleasure of his devotions and some nice for yours
0: in the Rav Vodhapuna Chandra Kabbalah Shilavishina Chakrabhi Thakur I describe the principles Krishna's sarvagata, omniscience and muktatha, bewilderment or lack of knowledge, or childlike unawareness of the quality of being charmingly oblivious and captivated. Mm -hmm. Here's a commentary in the 15th chapter of the 10th canto where Krishna sees the coward voice dying from drinking the poison jumuna mm-hmm. where it discusses that he actually felt they were dead mm-hmm. vishnachakavaritaka does not mention it i couldn't find this reference it reminded me somewhat of agasura lila though by vishnachakavaritaka's commentary a quote from 10 12 26 in the meantime while krishna was considering how to stop them all the coward boys entered the mouth of the demon the demon, however, did not swallow them, for he was thinking of his own relatives who had been killed by Krishna and was just waiting for Krishna to enter his mouth. Krishna the Thakura commentary, just as Krishna was deciding to stop them, the boys entered the serpent's mouth, but the serpent did not swallow them. Why didn't he swallow them? The demon was remembering the death of his brother at the hands of the Lord, so he was waiting for Krishna. One should not think that Krishna, Krishna's satya-sankalpa-shakti, potency that fulfills every desire of the Lord, was thwarted, because Krishna could not stop the boys from entering the serpent's mouth, though he wanted to. On the other hand, Krishna's devotees had a desire to be saved by Krishna, this is going dead, if by chance they were swallowed by the demon. Or the two desires, of the two desires, the desire of the devotee prevails. Did you catch that? I'll, I'll do it again because it was... On the other hand, Krishna's devotees had a desire to be saved by Krishna if by chance they were swallowed by the demon. Just saying that in this section, the boys wanted to experience being saved by Krishna. So that's why Krishna... I'll just read it. Of the two desires, the desire of the the devotee prevails according to the principle that the Lord is controlled by his devotee. This was perfectly arranged by Krishna's ever watchful Lila Shakti, which harmonizes everything by removing all seeming contradictions. 27. Krishna saw that the coward boys who did not know anyone but him as their Lord had now gone out of his hand and were helpless, having entered like straws into the fire of the abdomen of Agasura, who his death personified. It was intolerable for Krishna to be separated from his friends, the coward boys. Therefore, as if seeing that this had been arranged by his internal potency, Krishna was momentarily struck with wonder and unsure of what to do. Commentary seeing that the boys were helplessly beyond his control, like jewels slipping from one's hand, and that they were entering like straws into the fire of the snake's stomach, Krishna became filled with compassion. Grunaya Ardita Krishna was astonished at the actions of his Leela Shakti, or of time, in making the cowherd boys enter the serpent's mouth. What was the cause of Krishna's astonishment? The Lord thought. It is not possible for these coward boys to have prarabdha karma. Besides, the Supersoul does not give them the tendency for karma because the Supersoul is my expansion and does not do anything unfavorable to me. Therefore, the leela Shakti has made this seemingly unfavorable arrangement with a desire to put me, who abound in prema, in a compassionate mood on seeing this unfortunate situation it astonishes me how she controls me the very form of all rasas and the king of all leelas though Krishna's though Krishna's sorrow due to separation from his friends remained it's somewhat reduced with the rise of astonishment this is the meaning here So, it just kind of I mean gives an idea of how it is that Krishna Interacts with his Lila Shakti in order to enjoy, kind of like childlike wonderment in his own pastimes.
1: Could, could, could you elaborate a little bit? <coughs> could you elaborate a bit on Shalva and when Shalva uses mystic power to seemingly cut off the head of was of Krishna and how he momentarily. Could you,
0: I think it's under the same category but
1: it is but it has it it is the same category but it also has to do with Krishna's natural affection for his father being in Naralila in the material world Naralila means he acts as if he's a human being with the same human feelings and in order to act within the laws of material nature in general, he does that and, and also to express his love. In, in order to express his love to the near ones that he has, especially his father and mother, he will sometimes act like that, show intense family attachment, you know, in order to show that that love. For his own satisfaction and for the satisfaction of his devotee. Let me
0: just turn this up like one or two clicks.
1: In my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. Your humble opinion is really (laughs) humble.
0: Anything else?
1: I kind of like this. I'm going to love this. Now you can go back to your father's residence in the heavenly planets. And remain in the attitude of devotional service. And you will be liberated in this very life. And we can apply that because we have so many things we're involved in the future. We least I, I and, uh, But if you remain in transcendental consciousness by following Prabhupada and by practicing sadhana, then you can go on with your life and be in devotional attitude and then you'll be liberated in this very life. Here you go. Makes you feel like you do that. Also from where they came and what they got. Just because of my cause, mercy and blessing. it's seemingly out of anger that right? they did this. Whatever they did and uh, how they ended up being liberated and same Krishna. So that's the power of an association with uh, the Infoction. It talks about keeping them, themselves in a poverty streaming condition to save themselves from the false prestige of media law. It says better to be a poverty student than
0: I was listening to Prabhupada this morning when I was getting ready for Mangalartik and he was saying that no matter what situation you're you're in, in in the material world there's no satisfaction he said so a man has one million dollars but he's thinking I'm suffering because I don't have ten million dollars because he knows somebody else has ten million dollars and he only has one million dollars therefore he's suffering and that there's no end to that and therefore it's like i mean even some people who have a lot of wealth are kind of in poverty consciousness anyway but you just like the point is that what you're
1: saying Well one thing
0: krishna says in the gita is satisfied with gain that comes of its own accord and Narada says it too that to just understand that there's going to be gain that comes of its own accord just as there's loss that comes of its own accord so don't become so concerned with that and become overly attached. And of course, tena bunjita. Everyone has a quota that's set aside, obviously, set aside by the Lord. And the other thing Prabhupada was saying this morning is devotees, don't, um, if they get more money, he said, if Krishna sends more money, then they don't think, let me keep all this. They think, let me see how I can engage it in Krishna's service. Because. Oh, I'm sorry, not at all.
1: My occupational duty. Interrupting Hare Krishna. Please forgive my offense. Anyway, Prabhupada said that the test of whether or not wealth is uh, given by Krishna or by Maya is what you do when you're wealthy. In other words, what you do you do do when you're wealthy. In other words, you should consider that if you get wealth, and then you use it for excessive sense gratification then it's sent to you by maya as a result of your you know extreme material desires but if you get that wealth and you use that wealth in spreading krishna consciousness in particular but especially in just doing devotional service then it's considered to be sent by krishna and it's spiritual so it's not just because one is poor you know he's qualified and one's rich is not qualified. It's not an absolute statement like that.
0: Of course Prabhupada also says, we're getting so much money as we're expanding the Krishna consciousness movement, you shouldn't use, if you use even one farthing for your own sense gratification, then you'll become degraded. So that, I mean, money can come, and then one could misuse it also. Continuing with Killing the Demons, Vatsasura and Bakasura. This is chapter 11. When the twin Arjun trees fell to the ground, making a sound like the falling of thunderbolts, all the inhabitants of Gokula, including Nanda Maharaj, immediately came to the spot. They were very much astonished to see how the two great trees had suddenly fallen. Because they could find no reason for their falling down, they were puzzled. When they saw Child Krishna bound up to the wooden mortar by the ropes of Mother Yashoda, they thought that it must have been caused by some demon. Otherwise, how was it possible? At the same time, they were very much perturbed because such uncommon incidents were always happening to Child Krishna. While the cowherd men were thus contemplating, the small children who were playing there informed the men that the trees had fallen because Krishna had pulled the wooden mortar with the rope binding him. Krishna came in between the two trees they explained and the wooden mortar was topsy turvied and stuck between the trees. Krishna pulled the rope and the trees fell down. When the trees fell down two very dazzling men came out of the trees And they said something to Krishna. Most of the coward men did not believe the statement of the children. They could not believe that such things were at all possible. Some of the men, however, believed them and told Nanda Maharaj, Your child is different from all other children. He just might have done it. Nanda Maharaj smiled to hear about the extraordinary abilities of his son. He came forward and untied the knot just to see his wonderful child. After being freed by Nanda Maharaj, Krishna was taken into the laps of the elderly gopis. They took him away to the courtyard of the house and began to clap, praising his wonderful activities. Krishna danced along with their clapping, just like an ordinary child. The Supreme Lord Krishna, being completely controlled by the gopis, sang and danced just like a puppet in their hands. Nothing. Sometimes Mother Yashoda used to ask Krishna to bring her a wooden plank for sitting, although the wooden plank was too heavy to be carried by a child, still somehow or other Krishna would bring it to his mother. Sometimes his father, while worshipping the would ask him to bring his wooden slippers, and Krishna, with great difficulty, would put the slippers on his head and bring them to his father. When he was asked to lift some heavy article and was unable to lift it. He would simply move his arms. In this way, daily, at every moment, he was the reservoir of all pleasure for his parents. The Lord was exhibiting such childish dealings with the inhabitants of Vrindavan, because he wanted to show the great philosophers and sages searching after the absolute truth, how the supreme absolute truth personality of God is controlled by and subject to the desires of his pure devotees. Mm. One day, a fruit vendor came before the house of Nanda Maharaj. Upon hearing the vendor call, If anyone wants fruits, please come and take them from me. The child child Krishna immediately took some grains in his palms and went to get fruits in exchange. In those days, exchange was by barter. Therefore, Krishna might have seen his parents acquire fruits and other things by bartering grain, and so he imitated. But his palms were very small, And he was not very careful to hold the grains tight, so he was dropping them. The vendor, who came to sell fruits, saw this and was very much captivated by the beauty of the Lord. So she immediately accepted whatever few grains were left in his palms and filled his hands with fruits. In the meantime, the vendor saw that her whole basket of fruit had become filled with jewels. The Lord is the bestower of all benedictions. If someone gives something to the Lord, He is not the loser. He is the gainer by millions of times. One day, Lord Krishna, the liberator of the twin Arjuna trees, was playing with Balaram and the other children on the bank of the Jamuna. And because it was already late in the morning, Rohini, the mother of Balaram, went to call them back home. But Balaram and Krishna were so engrossed in playing with their friends that they did not wish to go back. Thus, excuse me, they just engaged themselves in playing more and more. When Rohini was unable to take them back home, she went home to and sent Mother Yashoda to call them again. Mother Yashoda was so affectionate toward her son that as soon as she came out to call him back home, her breasts filled up with milk. She loudly cried, My dear child, please come back home. Your time for lunch has already passed. She then said, My dear Krishna, oh my dear lotus-eyed child, Please come and suck my breast. You have played enough. You must be very hungry, my dear little child. You must be tired from playing for so long. She also addressed Balaram thus. My dear Rama, the glory of your family, my dear child, please come back with your younger brother Krishna immediately. You have been engaged in playing since early morning and you must be very tired. Please come back and take your lunch at home. Your father, Nandaraj, is waiting for you he has to eat so you must come back so that he can eat as soon as krishna balaram heard that nanda maharaj was waiting for them and could not take his food in their absence they started to return their playmates complained krishna is leaving us just at the point when our playing is at the summit next time we shall not allow him to leave His playmates then threatened not to allow him to play with them again. Krishna became afraid, and instead of going back home, he went back again to play with the boys. At that time, Mother Yashoda scolded the children and told Krishna, My dear Krishna, do you think that you are a street boy? You have no home? Please come back to your home. I see that your body has become very dirty from playing since early morning. Now come and take your bath. Besides, today is your birthday ceremony. Therefore, you should come back home and give cows in charity to the Brahmins. Don't you see how your playmates are decorated with ornaments by their mothers? You should also be cleansed and decorated with nice dress and ornaments. Please, therefore, come back, take your bath, dress yourself nicely, and then again you may go on playing. In this way, Mother Yashoda called back Lord Krishna and Balaram, who are worshipable by great demigods like Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva. She was thinking of them as her children. When Mother Yashoda's children, Krishna and Balaram, came home, she bathed them very nicely and dressed them with ornaments. She then called for the Brahmanas, and through her children, she gave many cows of charity for the occasion of Krishna's birthday. In this way, she performed the birthday ceremony of Krishna at home. After this incident all the elder cowherd men assembled together and Nanda Maharaj presided. They they consulted amongst themselves how to stop the great disturbances in Mahavana on account of the demons. In this meeting Upananda, the brother of Nanda Maharaj, was present. He was considered to be learned and experienced and he was a well-wisher of Krishna Balaram. He was a leader and he addressed the meeting as follows. My dear friends, now we should leave here for another place because we are continually finding that great demons are coming here to disturb the peaceful situation and they are especially attempting to kill the small children. Just consider Putana and Krishna. It was simply by the grace of Lord Hari that Krishna was saved from the hands of such a great demon. Next, the whirlwind demon took Krishna away into the sky, but by the grace of Lord Hari he was saved and the demon fell down on a stone slab and, was, and died. Very recently, this child was playing between two trees and the trees fell down violently and yet there was no injury to the child. So Lord Hari saved him again. Just imagine the calamity if this child or any other child playing with him were crushed by the falling trees. Considering all these incidents, we must conclude that this place is no longer safe. Let us leave. We have all been saved from different calamities by the grace of Lord Hari. Now we should be cautious and leave this place and reside somewhere where we can live peacefully. I think that we should all go to the forest known as Vrindavan, Vrindavan, where just now there are newly grown plants and herbs. It is very suitable for pasturing Ground for our cows. It is a very suitable. Pra- it is very suitable for pasturing ground for our cows, and we and our families, the gopis, with their children, can live peacefully there. Near Vrindavan is Govardhan Hill, which is very beautiful, and there are newly grown grass and fodder for the animals, so there will be no difficulty in living there. I therefore suggest that we start immediately for that beautiful place, as there is no need to waste any more time. Let us prepare all our carts immediately, and if you like, let us go, keeping all the cows in front." On hearing the statement of Upananda, all the cowherd men immediately agreed. Let us immediately go there. Everyone then loaded all their household furniture and utensils onto the carts and prepared to go to Vrindavan. All the children, women, and old men of the village were arranged on seats, and the cowherd men equipped themselves with bows and arrows to follow the carts. All the cows and bulls were placed in the front, along with their calves, and the men with their bows and arrows surrounded the heads and the herds and carts and began to blow on their horns and bugles. In this way, with tumultuous sound, they started for Vrindavan. And who can describe the damsels of Raja? They were all seated on the carts and were very beautifully dressed with ornaments and costly saris. They chanted the pastimes of Krishna, child Krishna as usual. Mother Yashoda and Mother Rohini were seated on a separate cart and Krishna and Balaram were seated on their laps. While Mother Rohini and Yashoda were riding on the cart, they talked to Krishna and Balaram and feeling the pleasure of such talks They looked very, very beautiful. In this way, after reaching Vrindavan, where everyone lives eternally, very peacefully and happily, they encircled Vrindavan, drew all the carts together in a half circle, and in this way constructed a temporary residence. When Krishna and saw the beautiful appearance of Vrindavan, maybe it was dropped on its head too many times. When Krishna and Balaram saw the beautiful appearance of Vrindavan, Govardhan Hill, and the banks of the River Jumuna, they felt very happy. As they grew up, they began talking with their parents and others in childish language, and thus they gave great pleasure
1: to all the inhabitants of Vrindavan. Soon, Krishna and Balaram had, gro- had grown sufficiently to be given charge of the calves. Cowherd boys from the very beginning of their childhood are trained to take care of the cows. And their first responsibility is to take care of the little calves. So along with the other little cowherd boys, Krishna and Balarama went into the pasturing ground and took charge of the calves. And there they played with their playmates. While taking charge of the calves, Sometimes the two brothers played on their flutes, and sometimes they played with amalaka fruits and bale fruits, just like just as small children play with balls. Sometimes they danced and made tinkling sounds with their ankle bells. Sometimes they made themselves into bulls and cows by covering themselves with blankets. Uh, and thus Christian Valaram played the two brothers used also to imitate the sounds of bulls and cows and play like two bulls fighting. Sometimes they used to imitate the sounds of various animals and birds. In this way they enjoyed their childhood pastimes, apparently like ordinary, mundane children. Once, when Krishna and Balaram were playing on the bank of the Yamuna, a demon of the name batsasura assumed the shape the shape of a calf, and came there intending to kill the brothers. By taking the shape of a calf, the demon could mingle with the other calves. Krishna, however, specifically noticed this and he immediately alerted Balarama about the entrance of the demon. Thus, both brothers then silently approached him. Krishna caught, caught hold of the demon calf by the two hind legs and tail whipped him around very forcefully, and threw him up into a tree. The demon lost his life and fell down from the top of the tree to the ground. When the demon lay dead on the ground, all the playmates of Krishna congratulated him. Well done! Well done! And the demigods in the sky showered flowers with great satisfaction. In this way, the maintainers of the entire creation, Krishna and Balarama, used to take care of the calves every day, beginning in the morning, and thus they enjoyed their childhood pastimes as cowherd boys in Vrindavan. One day, all the cowherd boys went to the bank of the river Yamuna to water their calves. When the calves drank water from the Yamuna, the boys also drank. After drinking, when they were sitting on the bank of the river, they saw a huge animal which looked something like a heron and was as big as a hill. Its top was as strong as a thunderbolt. And when they saw that unusual animal, they became afraid of it. The name of this beast was Bakasura, and he was a friend of Kansa's. He appeared on the scene suddenly, and immediately attacked Krishna with his pointed, sharp beaks and quickly swallowed him up. When Krishna was thus swallowed, all the boys headed by Balarama became almost breathless as if they had died. But when the Bhagasura demon was swallowing up Krishna, he felt a burning, fiery sensation in his throat. This was due to the glowing effulgence of Krishna. The demon quickly threw up threw Krishna up and tried to kill him by pinching him with his beak. Bhakasura did not know that although Krishna was playing the part of a child of Nanda Maharaj, he was still the original father of Lord Brahma, the creator of the universe. Mother Yashoda's child, who was the reservoir of pleasure for the demigods, and who was a maintainer of saintly persons caught hold of the great gigantic heron by the two halves of his beak and before his coward boyfriends bifurcated his mouth just as a child very easily splits a blade of grass. From the sky, the denizens of the heavenly planet showered flowers like the malika, the most fragrant of all flowers, as a token of their congratulations. Accompanying the showers of flowers was a vibration of bugles, drums, and conch shells. When the boys saw the showering of flowers and heard the celestial sounds, they became struck with wonder. <laughs> and when they saw Krishna freed from the mouth of the great demon Bakasura, all of them, including Balarama, were so pleased that it seemed as if they regained had regained their very source of life. As soon as they saw Krishna coming toward them, one after they one after another embraced the son of Nanda and held him to their chests. After this they assembled all the calves under their charge and began to return home. When they arrived home they spoke of the wonderful activities of the son of Nanda when the gopis and cowherd men all heard the story from the boys, they felt great happiness because naturally they loved Krishna. And by hearing about his glories and victorious activities, they became still more affectionate toward him. Thinking that Child Krishna had been saved from the mouth of death, they looked upon his face with great love and affection. They were full of anxiety. And could not turn their faces from the vision of Krishna. The gopis and men began to converse amongst themselves about how wonderful it was that Krishna, child Krishna, had been attacked in so many ways and so many times by so many demons, and yet the demons themselves had been killed and Krishna had remained uninjured. They continued to converse amongst themselves about how so many great demons in such fierce bodies had attacked Krishna to kill Him, but by the grace of Hari had not been able to cause even a slight injury. Rather, they had died like small flies in in a fire. Thus they remembered the words of Gargamuni, who had foretold by dint of his vast knowledge of the Vedas and astrology that this boy, would be attacked by many demons. Now they were actually seeing that this was coming true word for word. All the cowherd men, including including Nanda Maharaj, used to talk of the wonderful activities of Lord Krishna and Balarama. And they were always so much absorbed in those talks that they forgot the threefold miseries of this material existence. This is the effect of krishna consciousness what was enjoyed 5000 years ago by nanda maharaj can still be enjoyed by Krishna conscious persons simply by talking about the transcendental pastimes of krishna and his associates thus balarama and krishna their childhood pastimes enjoyed their childhood pastimes imitating lord ramachandra's monkeys who constructed the bridge over the ocean, and Haruman who jumped over the water to Ceylon. They used to imitate such pastimes among their friends and so happily passed their childhood life. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the eleventh chapter of Krishna, killing the demons, Vatsāsura and Bhakāsura.
0: I just have a couple of comments. In the commentary by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, in the pastime of Bhakasura, he says that because Bhakasura didn't have a taste for Krishna consciousness, he's overwhelmed by avidya. So when he swallowed Krishna, Krishna tasted hot and he couldn't stand it, so he vomited him back up again. And he said, in the same way, people who are covered by ignorance, they can't appreciate Krishna-kata or Krishna's holy name. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Much like that analogy that Rupa Goswami gives about having jaundice and stuff. But he Mm -hmm. compares the two. Mm -hmm. like Krishna's sweet in all ways, but he swallowed him. He couldn't stand it. He said he vomited him. So people, until they're actually Krishna conscious, they find... Krishnakata chanting the holy name repulsive and so they miss out thus ends tonight's reading of the Krishna book Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead we thank everyone for joining us online from various places around the world on behalf of everyone here at Govardhan Hill we bid you adieu and look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning starting up again at 11 Thirty a m. eleven o'clock a.m. for the continued reading. Am I right about that? Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman. Hey, Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman, Nacharyar Marman.